Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast on the Genre Equality Channel. I'm Hitzer. I'm Isa. And we are here this week to talk about Western films. That's mm-hmm. right. Um, one of the more, uh, especially in modern times, um, underseen or underappreciated genres, although it did have its heyday like, back in the 60s yep. and the mm-hmm. 70s, etc. with the Italian uh, spaghetti westerns that Sergio Leone directed and stuff like that. But I'm here to talk about not just Westerns, but specifically the malleability of the genre, mm-hmm. uh, whereby we will be comparing and contrasting what I myself pick as the most classical example of Western macho revisionism, yeah. uh, which is in the Val Kilmer Kurt Russell film Tombstone. <laughs> uh, and we'll be contrasting that with other Westerns that kind of subvert traditional Western tropes, such as mm. Unforgiven uh, by Clint Eastwood, uh, which kind of deals with the harsh realism of what it's like to be in the frontier, um, as well as the exploration of uh, racist hatred against Native Americans in John Ford and John Wayne's The Searchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, we'll be talking about this very mesmeric dissection of celebrity culture in the Western genre, which is, you know, um, one of the oldest uh, Americana genres there is. Yeah. Uh, in this case, we'll be talking about the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, uh, which is a more relatively recent Western, although that was in the mid-2000s as well. Yeah. Um, before we begin with, uh, with our dissections of, of these four um, classic and subversive Western films, um, what are your thoughts on Western films in general? I know you're not like a super big fan of the genre, but you yeah. know, what are your what are your like uh, impressions of it? Uh, I I think growing up, especially like my exposure to westerns didn't like stem that particularly far, right? Like you know, um, maybe like uh, um, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, perhaps. Uh, course, you know, yeah. and a couple, yeah, and a couple like here and there. Um, in general, I don't think I watch a lot of the classic westerns just because I, I, did, I don't think I had a lot of access to them. Generally okay. speaking, um, yeah, yeah, how I was situated, um, I have enjoyed a lot of the the more modern westerns. I guess I, you know, um, whatever the Coen Brothers have been bringing out, uh, of with yeah. with with the Hateful Eight, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, yeah, yeah, Django Unchained. Yeah. Django Unchained, yes, and and you know, uh, along the lines of what we got with with the assassination of Jesse James, um, but yeah, not necessarily um, exposed to and and therefore drawn to some of the more classic Western stuff. Like they mm. come up fairly regularly, you know, when when in in discourse if we are talking about like oh, you know, um, let's say for example, uh, adaptations of westerns in other media, right? Like uh, Seven Samurai. Uh, ah example, yes, and you know a lot of Kurosawa films with with West the, a lot of the Western themes are within mm-hmm. that, uh, and mm. how they're influenced by that. Um, you know, or even like um, is it called Unforgiven as well? Yeah, the the Ken Watanabe uh remake of of Unforgiven. Mm. Yes, yes. You know what's very yeah. interesting about westerns is uh the symbiotic relationship it has with uh samurai films. Um, they are almost cut mm-hmm. from the same cloth and they influence one another. I yeah. mean, most uh, famously, The Seven Samurai uh, was the, uh, the basis for the, ad- uh, the Western adaptation, which was The Magnificent Seven. You know? and, and ever since then, yeah. uh, Westerns and Samurais have been almost uh, interchangeable. I mean, the most recent uh, season of The Mandalorian famously uh, encompassed uh, both aspects of Samurai films and Western films, you know, with uh, the, yeah. the Ahsoka episode. Spoilers for people who haven't seen The Mandalorian, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I think, I think, yeah, you know, if if you've been at home, you know, um, social distancing and all of that, and you haven't got to Mandalorian, I, I think the Statue of Limitations has passed for spoilers. So, yeah, um, who in the world, right, hasn't caught the Mandalorian? <laughs> I mean, like, uh, if you haven't, please go check it out. We've talked about it at length. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, really, really love what they're doing there. Um, but yeah, I, after you know, 
hearing us talk about westerns and stuff like that maybe you can go watch the Mandalorian if you haven't already and see thematically how that works out or rewatch it you know if you you feel like you want to do that absolutely i mean um outside of the films that we're talking about here you know um you you you've already name dropped some what are your what are your favorite westerns of all time ooh i hmm. okay i'm i'm just going to put butch Cassidy and sundance kid just because uh i watched that a lot like we had the the um the tape right Mm, VHS, um, yeah. Yeah, the VHS tape. For some reason, I, I don't know how it kind of got into our family collection, but it was there. So I, I watched that a number of times. Um, yeah. You know, and obviously became very uh, disenfranchised with the modern remake of it, which was very subjectively horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was Arnie. Was it Arnie Hammer? Mm-hmm. Arnie Hammer and Johnny Depp, I think. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah so like I'm gonna put it at the top of my list I do remember like a lot of Clint Eastwood stuff uh, yeah. not Unforgiven in particular but I'm not sure what were the ones I watched because in my mind they were all the same movie like it's mm-hmm. an amalgamation of every western that Clint Eastwood has ever done Yeah. Uh, and, and it just kind of like melts into like this grand epic of this one particular guy um, mm-hmm. who, who you know basically lived, lived out in the wild west um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't really have an expansive list for that uh, necessarily. Uh, uh, Absolutely. Uh, sorry. Are the four that we have on mm-hmm. your top five list of westerns? Um, they are in my top ten certainly. Uh, okay. but they're not in my top five. I picked this specifically because of the compare and contrasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I had to pick, you know, favorite westerns of all time, it had to be. Uh, I mean, you you gotta mention the Sergio Leone uh spaghetti westerns. Uh, yeah. the reason they were called spaghetti westerns was because um they came at a time a decade where westerns were becoming out of fat yeah. in Hollywood specifically. So, so what Sergio Leone did was to start film filming in Italy instead. You know, using um Italian extras, Italian ex- actors, Italian sets. Uh, because it was number one cheaper, and number two, there was a great demand for westerns in Italy, so that's why they were called spaghetti westerns. You know, it's yeah, uh, yeah. nothing so much to do with the content, like, as much as where it's filmed. Uh, so the good and bad and, and the ugly, um, a fistful of dollars is up there as well. Um, as we we yeah. we're talking about, you know, recently the more modern westerns, which are more subversive and more revisionist. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we already talked about, uh, mentioned Tarantino's Django Unchained, The Hateful Eight. Yeah. Uh, the Coen Brothers' uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs most recently was really good as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of old, um, a lot of old films, you know, like True Grit is, is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. uh, both mm-hmm. the old and the new ones. Uh, the, the new True Grit, by the way, is also a Coen Brothers film. Um, the Revenants is a, is a new uh, Western Ooh. film that was really, yeah. really good as well. Uh, 310 to Yuma is excellent, you know. Um, and in terms of like Guilty, Pleasures. Uh, there is this really, really stupid western called um the Wild Wild West. Uh, with um, Will Smith. <laughs> Do you remember that? I love that. I actually, yeah, that that definitely. Uh, then yeah, that's definitely western. Like um, I have no idea why I like it. You know, it's it's such a dumb movie, right? But for yeah, some reason, absolutely. it like it. Maybe it's because we were like seven or eight when we watched it, but it, it just like hits me. You know, it's so fun. It, I think a lot of it had to do with how um, culturally iconic Will Smith was at that point in time in his career. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and, and that just kind of bled over to his overall popularity. It kind of bled over into like hype for the movie itself. I, mm-hmm. I remember watching it a couple of years ago. It hasn't aged well at all. But in oh, my yeah. mind, I, I remember it being extremely uh, entertaining at the very mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. Um, what is oh okay? Shout out to Dances with Wolves, which was my mom's favorite western, and as such, uh, I watched that a fair bit. Yeah, Dances with Wolves. Who could who Dances could forget? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, AKA Avatar. Like, it's pretty much the same story, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I mean, um, who who was that? Who was that? Kevin Costner, right? Kevin Costner. Yeah. 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 What a what a legend. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, um. Yeah. I mean, th- those are just the the films that come off the top of our heads, uh, you know. But there are a lot of classic westerns from the from the thirties, forties, and fifties, of course, that we're not mentioning. Uh, mm-hmm. Although one of them we'll be talking about here, which is uh, a classic one, The Searchers, yeah. uh, frequently recognized by many film critics as the greatest westerns of all time, or at least the most subversive western of all time. Uh, mm-hmm. but let's begin with yeah. one from the nineteen nineties called Tombstone. 
this was this was a bit of a a bit of a classic. It's it's a story about Wyatt Earp, a famous uh, sheriff. Um, it, it starred Kurt Russell. Um, many of the stars here um, are, are very well known for their mustaches. Uh, which, yeah. uh, <laughs> which were all real. Most, which were all real. Which were all real. Yeah. Yeah. Like one side note I wanted to bring up about Tombstone is, right? Like um, everyone took time, like uh, four to five months to grow up those insane mustaches. Yeah. Um, they were incredible. And I love it so much. Uh, but yeah, this is a this is a 1993 film. Um, it was directed by George P. Costamos. Uh, stars Kurt Russell, Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Powers Booth, uh, Michael Bean, uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, narrated by Robert Mitchum, who is you know the the voice of westerns. Uh, so um, it yep. begins in 1879 when the members of an outlaw gang known to wear red sashes. Uh, not the Crips, they're called the Cowboys. Uh, they're led by Curly uh, Bill <laughs> Brocious. Uh, they are the, the big bats in the film, you know, uh, a, a gang. Uh, Wyatt Earp and his brothers come to town. They are retired police officers with notable reputations. Um, it's their job to basically come up against this gang and stop them, you know. Um, Val Kilmer also plays a legendary outlaw. Uh, he can be a Huckleberry. Uh, Doc Holliday. Uh, of yeah. course. So these are all legends in in the Western law, uh, or, or the Western genre, or the Western um, myths, shall yeah. we say, mm-hmm. You know, um, I I don't know whether you've seen Tombstone back in the nineties, but it, it was quite a sensation back in the day as a big blockbuster western uh, yeah. that came at a time when westerns were not hip, were not hyped. Um, what were your? Did you ever watch westerns back in the? Uh, did you ever watch Tombstone back in the day? No. Uh, and it and. Oh, okay. If not, then what yeah. is your current imp- uh, impression of Tombstone? The, yeah. the sheer coolness of it. You know? uh, I mean, okay. So back in the 90s, I think the only Western that I did watch, interestingly enough, came out about the same time as Tombstone and was like, story was the same. It was the other Wyatt Earp one, which was Costner, mm. uh, if I'm not wrong. So I do remember seeing that. Um, eh, it, it's okay. You know, again, mom, my mom's a big Costner fan. So... Uh, yeah, we ended up watching that. Uh, but Tombstone. Um, I mean, like, I I can imagine why it was such a big deal, right? Like westerns, uh, so much of it has to do with like um, the 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 kind of like myth of masculinity and and, and kind of bravado and the machismo there. And mm-hmm. in the cast itself, you kind of pretty much have the who's who of the nineties, right? When it came to like. Uh, you know, macho men. You, uh, you know, you got your Kurt Russell, your Val Kilmer, Sam Elliott, Bill Paxton, Powers Booth, Michael Bean, Billy Bob yeah. Thornton. Yeah, hey, in a small, a small role, by the way, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. You know, uh, and like future kind of like men's men, like Stephen Lang. Uh, yeah, you know? and then you got Ben Hur himself. <laughs> yeah. Charlton yeah. Heston. Yeah, so I mean, like, it, it's it's a long, long list of kind of like the who's who as far as, you know, uh, machismo goes. And I can mm-hmm. understand that, especially during the time that it came out, right, which was like 92, 93, I think. Yep. Um, you know, kind of in the early 90s, um, these men were big stars, right? And some of them up-and-coming mm-hmm. stars, for sure. Um, but, like, there is there is a, a sleekness and, and po- kind of polish to it that I think uh, uh, belies its time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it it is definitely, it definitely stands out. I think, uh, from any of the movies from the early early kind of nineties, um, yes. just with you know the attention to detail as far as most of like the wardrobe and the setting goes, mm-hmm. uh, and you know that just like the famous like kind of group walkout scene. Uh, that's mm. on the poster actually is it on the poster yeah it's on the poster it's you definitely know, the poster yeah uh, with you know with the sleek black uh, coats and, and shit like that um, yeah definitely high high cool factor um, yeah as far as kind of like everything how how it was like even coloured and all of that there's, it, it's a beautiful there are moments in time when it's a very very beautiful film mm-hmm. um, especially in the quieter moments which honestly I wish we had a bit more because it does get fairly Hectic, uh, actually, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll 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 get to that, uh, for mm-hmm. sure. But like, kind of initial impressions, uh, for that, I I think Russell coming out and delivering, you know, his his uh, macho one liners and mm-hmm. his general kind of disdain for for lesser men, 
Uh, and of course, the very, very iconic Val Kilmer as Doc Holiday, which I think is still one of the best performances out of a Western ever. Yeah. Uh, and the most memorable, I, I think, for Tombstone itself. Uh, that stands out in my mind. I mean, I don't think Tombstone is a perfect movie. I have no. issues with the way that it... Uh, with its pacing uh, and, mm-hmm. and just like kind of the general thing. And to imagine like reading that it could have been much longer yes. um, had they not parted it down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So I think it was, it was fun. I, I think I especially enjoyed maybe the, the first hour and a half uh, mm. or so, you know, uh, and then just kind of past the hour 50 mark, uh, I kind of like, it lost me a bit, you know, because it wasn't mm-hmm. as compelling from there on end when the action kicks up and it's all about the action itself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, but it it was a fun ride. Uh, it's it was interesting, and I can definitely see why a lot of audiences were kind of enthralled with um the film when it came out. Absolutely, I mean, Tombstone of all the westerns, in my opinion, really symbolizes and embodies that the western genre was the original superhero genre. You know, yeah. um, a cast of larger than life characters of good versus evil of justice and revenge, you know, very classical themes, mm-hmm. big action set pieces at the end. Um, these were people that you wanted to root for, very black and white, you know. Uh, Val Kilmer as, uh, as Doc Holliday, one of the most mesmeric and, and phenomenal performances of Val Kilmer's career, you know. Yeah. Uh, he, is, he is always uh, very compelling, uh, and it's probably the most iconic portrayal of the famous gunman uh, in cinematic history and also mm-hmm. provides some subtle com- comedic relief yeah. uh, he is just so fucking cool um, Kurt Russell is the straight man of course here uh, but he's also really cool and, and, and the film offers an incredible array of, of just like insane badass moments you know from, from the moment where Kurt Russell comes to town he meets up with you know Billy Bob Thornton in the casino you know, and just like you know slaps him uh, are you just going to stand there and bleed? You know, it's one of the best lines I've ever seen. When he's confronted outside the casino uh, later on in the film, the way that he takes uh, the outlaw's gun from his, uh, from his holster and uh, hits him with it over his nose, you know. Um, there's absolute badass moments. Uh, Val Kilmer coming out of the shadows. Yeah. I'm your Huckleberry, you know. Uh, so many iconic lines, iconic moments. It's so cool. Uh. It's, it's, the, it's the biggest representation to me, that, that Westerns were the original American superhero genre before superheroes even came about, you know. Yeah. Uh, back in the 1800s even, there were books and comics about, uh, about or, or pulp fiction novels, about Westerns, about the legendary outlaws, you know. Um, and they have been talked up so much and so much myth has been built around them that they become so larger than life. Mm-hmm. And this movie, Tombstone, really is the encapsulation of that larger-than-lifeness, that larger than lifeness, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's shamelessly entertaining, uh, <laughs> and absolutely absurd. You know, totally absurd in its in its execution. Um, totally a case of style over substance, but the style is so good. You know. Yeah. Uh, but the reason I picked this first to talk about because it is the most unrealistic and the most stylized western. Yeah. Uh, and I I think that's kind of what the western genre was building up to like, up until this point. Do, do you see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. Um. And any other thoughts about uh Tombstone before we we move on to the other stuff that kind of subverts the tropes in Tombstone. Uh, well, I mean, it, it, it's based upon the whole idea, right? Like, um, the fact that these, um, these, these characters, right, existed in their own kind of mythos before the film was made, right? Like, whole Iowa Wyatt Earp, Legendary Lawman, you know, and then you have your gunman and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's very much the way, like, the MCU works, right? I, I, essentially, yeah. you know, uh, the whole idea that there is a wealth of kind of backstory that is already known to some extent within popular culture and mm-hmm. you want to flesh that out. You want to make it, um, well, personal, right? To the, pe- to the audience that are partaking in this, like, uh, journey of people that they already know of and now get to know. Um, mm. You know, and the, the myth-making there is, is a fascinating kind of, like, idea that we only really explore later on in, in um, Assassination of Jesse James as well. Yes, uh, yes. You know, but I mean, like, there are just, like, so many things. Like, for example, when um, when Wyatt goes into the river and he miraculously, like, never gets shot. Yeah. <laughs> despite the fact, right? Like, it, I, I remember watching that and I was just like, you know, that's a lot like, um, kind of like Wonder Woman walking out into the No Man's Land, right? Yeah. Uh, in Wonder Woman 1. And there are a lot of, like, very 
um, pivotal moments within the film itself that you know you can you can pick out that could easily fit in any sort of like superhero genre to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's a fascinating kind of way to kind of look at it, and you know, uh, I th- as we've gone along. Um, I, especially with like the other three uh, movies that we're talking about, I, I think that changes significantly because yeah. we want to compare and contrast one. But even like um, Western esque films today, very few of them have the same kind of like cookie cutter template uh-huh. that Tombstone set in stone right back then. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You know, like if if Tombstone was the MCU. Um, Unforgiven is like the boys, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Let let's 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 move on to to Unforgiven right now. Uh, the Clint Eastwood classic, you know. Uh, it yeah. won him an Academy Award here. Uh, this was a great deconstruction of Western tropes. You know, it's mm-hmm. an academic Academy Award winning Western, which is uh, rare for that time period. Um, it stars Clint Eastwood and Morgan Freeman, who are down on their luck outlaws, who yeah. pick up their guns one last time in order to collect a bounty. Offered by vengeful prostitutes uh, in the remote town of Big Whiskey, Wyoming. Um, what makes Unforgiven so special is that you know there is no element of coolness or machismo in it. It is oh, primarily yeah. concerned with deconstructing the morally black and white vision of the American West that has been established by traditional works in the genre. You know, mm-hmm. um, the script is so saturated with unnerving reminders of the main character's, you know, own horrific past without necessarily showing it, you know, him as a murderer, him yeah. as a garden fighter, so haunted by the lives he's taken. Uh, and, and the film as a whole reflects a kind of reverse image of the classical Western tropes, you know. Um, the protagonists uh, are not, you know, your avenging, uh, God-fearing, uh, innocent people who, uh, who are hired, you know, they are... They are bad men who are murderers and, and they, they want to collect a, a bounty for a group of prostitutes, right? You know, um, In yeah. the film, several men who claim to be fearless killers are either exposed to be cowards or weaklings or self-promoting liars. Um, while others that you know, no, longer, no longer have it in them are forced to take another life. You know? um, the, the portrayal of aging... Of, of someone, you know, past their prime in, in Clint Eastwood's case, you know, uh, or in other characters who, who just don't understand what it's like to take a life. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the beginning scenes where uh, a prostitute is horribly mutilated uh, in the face uh, really goes to show that, you know, Westerns are not... that, that ty- This type of lifestyle yeah. in, in, the, in, the, in the Old West is harsh, is cruel, is brutal, and should not be sanitized like so many Western films have, like like Tombstone has, for example, yeah. you know, you know, um, the the morality here is grey, not black and white. Um, there is no real justice going around. Um, everything about it is so poetic and and brutal and and realistic. Like the realism and the morality morality in conflict here is so great. You know, uh, what are the aspects of 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 Unforgiven that stand out to you? Um. Uh, okay, I, I think like its main draw for me was a very in-depth but subtle approach to understanding mm-hmm. violence in a time when violence is currency. Um, yeah. And, and like how as, as currency it has its, um, you know, it is sometimes a means to an end, sometimes it's a end in, in and of itself. Uh, and how that mm-hmm. morality changes from person to person. Uh, and yep. changes within a person as well as, as we see with Ned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I, I found that extremely interesting. Um, just the way in which that unfolds. Um, as you get to know the characters and and through their actions as well. Um, yep. not much is said to address the idea of violence, right? Like it's very mm. clear cut for the characters. Uh, but in the unfolding of that, it becomes a very kind of like in depth look at a time in which, you know, violence was commonplace and widely accepted um, mm-hmm. to be a part of the life that's there, yeah. right? Um, that was one of the big things for me. Uh, the other thing is, um, yeah, the whole idea of kind of like aging, right? Like what struck mm-hmm. me the most, I think, within the first couple of scenes, um, well, within the first half of the movie in particular, was just this moment when when uh, uh, money is... Um, struggling to get on his horse in front of his kids. Yeah, right. that was so tough to watch, you know. Yeah, yeah, that was that was incredibly difficult. And I I don't know if at the time it would have played for uh 
a laugh with you know for audiences watching it in the cinema given you know Clint Eastwood's kind of like badassness in general and the character that he plays but it felt mm-hmm. like an incredibly sad moment to be privy to Yes. Um, you know, as as a man who is pa- clearly past his prime, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, in addition to that, past his his prime as someone who carried violence along with him wherever he went. Um, yeah. But for him to just struggle to get on the horse, right, and and that happens kind of like multiple times within the film, mm-hmm. as as well. You know, um, kind of hit home a very uh, a, a very subtle point that I didn't expect to to feel for. You know, and then of course, you know, um, uh, what's Gene Hackman's character's name? Uh, Little Bill, Little the Bill's kind sheriff. of yeah, the corrupt yeah. sheriff. You know, with his whole kind of like um, talking talking to uh, the autobiographer about like you know kind of his heyday and all of his things and and his yeah. relationship with uh, English Bob, Is that mm-hmm. name? yeah, English Bob, mm-hmm. and you know what their relationship was like, like. Almost all the men that we see who are the main players within this film itself are, are men past their prime who are either revel in their uh, glory days or their glory mm-hmm. days are so gory that and they have to they 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 shun it actively, right? Mm. Um, and it is it it feels like the film is searching for a resolution for these men. Uh, to come mm-hmm. to terms with the, the the violence in their past, whether or not they regard it as their glory days or not. Um, yeah, yeah. So like, there's so many kind of things that that are folded into what is, I think, a very straightforward story. Uh, yeah. Um. You know, as far as the kind of like how the plot is is driven and all of that, but there's so much that takes place within the dialogue itself, so much that is referred to within the past of the characters that we never get to see on screen, that isn't mm. really like kind of dealt with, that builds this world that feels much more um, dire, right? Than mm-hmm. it's seen within the film itself. And that kind of like frames your understanding of, you know, uh, what takes place in the story itself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you know. Um, I think the character that Richard Harris plays, English Bob, as you mentioned, you know, uh, who was a famous gunfighter back in his day, but now lives off the publicity and is followed everywhere by an autobiographer, W.W. Yeah. Bouchamps, uh, who is a writer for Pop Western magazines, you know. Um, he is the most interesting case study in the deconstruction of Western myths yeah. in Unforgiven, I feel, you know, because a lot of his stories, either, as you said, is is uh, you know, living of past glory, or those glories were greatly exaggerated, mm-hmm. as they must have been, right? You know, um, you look at uh Clint Eastwood's portrayal of money. You know, it's so sad. You know, he's no longer the man that he once was. The element of coolness is not there, yeah. but dirt and the grime that you see everywhere. You know, you just get a sense that it's so filthy, yeah, and it and it smells and it stinks. You know, mm-hmm. like you don't really get that kind of aesthetic in in many other uh westerns. You know, uh the uh, Gene Hackman's character, you know, the way that he talks about how how myths are made around this type of people, yeah. how he how he like uh pulls English Bob down a peg, even yeah. um really just goes to show that maybe these men are not all they are cracked out to be, and maybe some of their stories are nothing more than myths or at least exaggerated versions of the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it's a very very interesting um what and and one of the best. Uh, characters in the film is also one of the younger ones, a, a character called Schofield Kid, yeah. uh, who is a kid who obviously grew up on the stories, who wants to be like this man, you know. Um, basically, he was uh, the coward Robert Ford before the coward Robert Ford, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he thinks that he has what it takes to be an outlaw, a gunslinger, a gunfighter. Except, you know, he is nearsighted. He's not as skilled or yeah. as badass as he thinks he is. <laughs> um, and he doesn't know the real toll and moral cost and this emotional turmoil that comes with taking a life. And you see that when he makes his first kill, right? He shoots that guy in the toilet, right? Yeah. And he's just broken over it. Like, he doesn't understand what murder is until he does it. You know, it's not like you read in the stories. It just isn't, you know. It's a it's a real thing that will fuck you up, you know. And he was fucked up by this, you know. Um, I love all this, all these little like portrayals and reversals of the Western tropes that uh, Unforgiven yeah. uh, gives us. You know, um, do you have any other thoughts about Unforgiven? Um, 
Okay, maybe just one. Uh, okay. in, in kind of comparing and contrasting the women between Tombstone and Unforgiven. Yeah, I forgot about this. Yes, you go. Um, yeah. You know, uh, both movies were released basically back to back, right? Like, uh, Unforgiven was in ninety ninety two, Tombstone mm-hmm. was in ninety three. You know, in in Unforgiven we have we have the women uh centered on 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 the prostitutes, right? Uh, of, yes. of the saloon and how they band together to kind of get uh and act their own justice uh mm-hmm. for Delilah who who gets her face carved up and mm-hmm. like just like within this clearly you know patriarchal um system in which they have you know they they are goods essentially right like you know her her horrific trauma at the hands of of her attacker is is done away with the trade of horses um, yes you know and and to many of them that that is an unacceptable thing so they band together put out a, a bounty on on the two men and then they go down. in comparison to um what's her name Josephine in Tombstone mm. who yeah. uh, I uh, I didn't understand that I really didn't understand that how does mm-hmm. she how does she like show up and all of a sudden is like the most liberated and enlightened woman of the 1800s <laughs> all of she's a sudden. an actor <laughs> yeah and I, I I it completely uh, befuddled me just like how it didn't sit with the story you know mm-hmm. like at the one time you got this like slick western with all your heroes and your gunmen uh, mm-hmm. and, and exacting revenge and justice for, for you know the common man and for their friends and their loved ones and family Mm-hmm. And then strangely, you got uh, Dana Delaney, who very honestly, I think she did a great job. I just don't understand the character of Josephine Marcus as it was portrayed in Tombstone itself. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and it feels so hollow, right? To have mm. like kind of this uh, grandstanding of, uh, I, I guess, um, you know, women's empowerment embodied within her character as mm-hmm. opposed to like actual working women banding together mm to get their own sense of justice um, and, and and seeing that actually take place, right? Like, there is mm. some sort of closure within that, even though at much cost. Um, yeah. You know. The way that um, that Tombstone sort of glamorized uh, Wyatt Earp's infidelity, you know, uh, to, oh, yeah. to, just, to just make uh, the wife seem like this uh, uh, whiny, naggy drug addict, right? Yeah. Uh, and then he's like, oh, so it's totally cool for you to just dump her out of the way yeah, and then get together with uh, the actress woman, mm-hmm. uh, and then the fucking movie ends with with her saying, you know, it's it's okay, I'm rich. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it, bizarre, right? It is, uh, and, uh, and then the movie further goes on to say that Wyatt Earp uh, actually, I mean, in real life, like in the early 1900s, became a consultant for Western films uh, for the early movie stars of the 19, uh, the silent movie stars of the 1910s and 1920s, right? You know, yeah. Um, so Wyatt Earp is a bit like English Bob in a way that he's you know pro- propagating his own myths in yeah. this new form of uh, media, which is uh, cinema. You know, uh, so yeah, yeah, like I, I totally get your point on that, you know. Yeah, it just it just felt I, I don't know. It it really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Like I understand if you want to have a character like that, it just didn't, right? Like it is yeah. it is, you know, it is part and parcel of the package of Tombstone, right? Like it has to have this um mm-hmm. polish to it whether or not it necessarily makes sense, you know, um which it didn't, but no, yeah. Yeah, with all of that. Well, I much more sympathized and understood um, what was going on in in Unforgiven, right? Like that to me is understandable, and therefore I am more sympathetic and in support of um, mm-hmm. the women in Unforgiven. Uh, mm-hmm. And I feel like it's more like kind of like justified. Like the ending here makes sense uh, in mm-hmm. in the breath of the story, as opposed to kind of the like riding off into the sunset nonsense that we got in Tombstone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I mean, Unforgiven ends with. Albeit like a classic shootout, but at the same time a shootout that doesn't feel satisfying. Yeah. You have you have a character that is William Money who has obviously turned over a new leaf. He regrets being the vicious killer that he was. Mm-hmm. Uh and the fact that he was driven back into it, you know, at the end, you know, like yeah. the entire movie keeps talking about, you know, what he was, how bad he was, how dark he was, you know. And then you you sort of have like this image built in your head, it's like, ooh, that's actually kind of cool. And then when he does go to that dark side, right, it's horrifying. It's not cool. 
Yeah. It's horrifying, you know. Like he, the, his descent into his darkness at the end is absolutely terrifying, and you know, it's it's such a great memorable climax uh, to to Unforgiven uh, yeah. in in a in a movie that just uh step by step deconstructs all the all the little Western tropes, you know, all the mm-hmm. all the morality tales and uh, the easiness of revisionist Western, whereas this is more of a realistic. Uh, Westerner, um, so great, you know. Um, I think this is one of the most, uh, one of the best westerns ever made, uh, yep. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and certainly, I think even in Clint Eastwood's uh, great overall of uh, western cinematography, yeah, uh, this is his best, and mm-hmm. uh, undoubtedly, uh, one of the finest classical westerns uh, to come along, perhaps since 1956's <laughs> The Searchers, uh, which was directed by John Ford, starring. John Wayne. Uh, the Searchers is a classic Western from 1956. It follows an American Civil War veteran who embarks on a journey to rescue his niece who has been kidnapped by Comanches. Yeah. Um, this movie is very, very subversive for its time. Think yep. about it. Like It's in the 1950s, right? Mm-hmm. And the movie kind of starts out a bit, um, a bit stereotypically. You know, you got a you got a good guy, the the American Civil War veteran from the South, mind you, um, who who comes back home, has this you know like nice little family, uh, and then you know like his family is attacked by 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 indigenous people, uh, and and his niece is is kidnapped. So you kind of root for him to get to to get her back, right? Mm-hmm. But as the movie goes along, you know, you start to see cracks in in our hero's facade you know like he is not the, the white meat hero that that we think he is you know no. like but perhaps he is after the native americans for more uh, malicious reasons perhaps it's for racial reasons you know and the more obsessed he gets with revenge the more obsessed he gets with with punishing the native americans the more you start to turn against him mm-hmm. the more you start to see what a hateful man he is uh, and the more you start to sympathize with the Comanches and with the indigenous peoples of America in general. Yep. Um, this was one of the most compelling Western characters ever made and most, one of the most compelling Westerns ever also, simply because the hero, your, your, your white John Wayne, ends up, for all intents and purposes, thematically, as the villain of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about the searches? Ooh, um, there's something about... The, the scale of it uh, yeah. that really caught me. You know, uh, this entire journey um, that, that Ethan Edwards takes together with, with Marty, uh, yeah. it, it feels grand, right? A lot of the, like, the scenic shots in particular, you know, it makes it feel like a very long, kind of arduous journey um, that underlays perhaps what you as an audience hope to be the character's journey. But then mm-hmm. you realize that no, uh, he he's stuck and he's really really kind of stuck at that, uh, mm-hmm. you know it it and and his entire kind of um, obsession, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you you start to question it at, at certain points in time. Um, what drives this man and why is it that he is as obsessed with this 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 chase as he has been for for mm-hmm. throughout the entire period? Um, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it, it took me a while to get into it. I, I think like it's been a long while since I've watched something that classic. Um, mm. you know, with with all like the way that it's told and and the cinematography and all of that. Uh, it took a bit of getting used to for sure. Um, it felt strange because there were just moments in time where a lot of the very good class uh, uh, moments of comic relief juxtaposed against this brooding man who's always kind of like in frame in background or something along those lines right just like felt very odd uh mm. and very sinister and and yeah. you know as everything kind of goes along um uh and, and and more things are revealed and you start to notice things and you've got like some hit cannon going on in your head you start to kind of understand why these things are it's definitely a lot easier i think by the midpoint of the show mm-hmm. to to um, sympathize with with the Comanches um, and what they're doing because every single thing that they do, mm-hmm. they are given motivation for, uh, yes. and it's completely understandable between like two hostile groups of people, right? Like some yep. of them are tactical, some of them are strategic, some of them are practical. 
you know, mm. and, and all of those things are completely understandable. But Ethan Edwards is a mystery of a man because so much of the time you don't know what his true motivations are. You can mm-hmm. see the hate and the vitriol and 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 the general his general disgust, um, you know, mm. uh, with with um with with the Indians, right? Uh, yeah, and that is clear, but you know, you don't get a good sense of why that is or why is it like um, his growing kind of like uh, burning uh, purpose in order to find his his niece uh, mm-hmm. becomes as dangerous as it becomes. Yeah. 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 He is, even Edwards is a bit like, uh, I would compare him to uh, maybe like a taxi driver, uh, Travis Bickle, right? Oh, you know? yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, he is he is so he's a bit of an enigma fueled, fueled by a kind of hatred and, and self uh you know, it's both self loathing and loathing. Uh mm. he is confused about the world, he doesn't understand it. He yeah. is seeking to lash out and it, it manifests uh through his uh through his obsession and through his bigotry. You know, he is a, he is a stark and lonely man. Uh yeah. and and I think that the film really uh portrays him uh, very well in that light, you know, and and of course, like a major theme of the film is the historical attitudes of of um, white settlers towards uh, Native Americans or Indigenous yep. peoples. Mm-hmm. Um, I think John Ford was not the first to attempt this examination sim- cinematically, but his depiction of white people's harshness towards Native Americans was particularly stark, startling, especially for its time, mm-hmm. uh, for a generation that was unused to seeing white men. Uh, or white people as the villains of a film, you know. Yeah. Um. Uh. uh the, he he portrayed the Comanches as not savages, you know. As you as you mentioned, they all have motivations. Yeah. Uh. They all are just people who are trying to get their land back, you know. Um. I think at, at the heart of the searches, you know, is is uh this John Wayne's performance as uh angry and vengeful Ethan Edwards, you know. And and from the beginning of this quest, he is quite clearly less interested in rescuing Debbie. Yeah. Than in wrecking vengeance on the Comanches, you know. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. and and that's his true motivations, uh, you know. Like like traditionally, your Comanches or the Apaches uh, are portrayed or depicted as uh, utterly ruthless, you know. Mm-hmm. Whereas a uh, fort ascribes motivations for their actions and lends them uh, dignity, uh, befitting a proud civilization. They're not yeah. savages, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, never do we see Indians commit atrocities more appalling than those perpetrated perpetrated by the white men, you know. Um, I think Wayne is a bit like, you know, like uh, like, like an Ahab character, kind of, you know, like going after <laughs> his white will, not, not understanding what it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he's kind of driven into madness past limits, you know, because of his vengeance and his bigotry. Um, and it's it's so great to see in, in a film from the 50s, you know, like um, I, I never did expect to see something like this because when I watched The Searches I was very young my dad was a big John Wayne fan yeah. um, so I, I watched The Searches with him like not fully understanding the subtext until much later on you know mm-hmm. uh, yeah I mean what, what, what do you think about a film like the like this coming out in the 50s and, and how do you think the audiences would have reacted to it would they, ha- would they have understood what the film was trying to say I'm not sure if yeah. they necessarily would I, I think like definitely the more keyed in uh, members of the audience would definitely have seen that turn um, you know, because it's easy to let it go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the story itself gives enough reason for you to root to side, right? yeah, to root for Ethan for the majority of the movie. Mm-hmm. And I think, yep. like, if I were if I was in that position, for me, that that the turning point is when they when he starts shooting at the the bison. Um, yeah. Uh, in the snow, right? Like, just, mm-hmm. you know, I want to deprive them of their food is, is what he is thinking, right? And at which point, I think, like, you can no longer ignore the fact that this guy um, is past the point of sanity, right? Mm-hmm. And it is pure, he's been entirely consumed with the idea of enacting violence upon um, the other, yeah. you know, with, with, with no real reason there. Um, and And... Yeah, so I'm not sure necessarily. I mean, I don't think I've read up enough to see what the response was to the searches itself. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is definitely a really, really intentional mm. um, turn 
to have taken with the character, uh, you know, as opposed to something that just ended up being that way. And I'm hoping that most of the audience took that. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's hard to imagine that it sat very well with many audiences in the 50s. Mm, uh, white audiences, yeah. White audiences, yeah, in the 50s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I, I could easily see, see the searches being in the 50s. Like, okay, for example... um. You know, you know how like when we were young in our teens, a lot of our male friends identified with the toxic masculinity as seen in Fight Club, not understanding yeah. that Fight Club was a satire of it, you know, or a mockery of it, you know. Yeah. Like we thought it was cool, right? Because we mm-hmm. just didn't know any better. Or a more recent example is that you know, um, the majority of Breaking Bad fans just can't seem to wrap <laughs> their heads around the fact that Walter White is a bad guy. Yeah. You know. Although the although the series clearly in his fucking title calls him a bad guy, yeah, <laughs> you know his his descent into like egocentrism and and villainy is clearly portrayed there and shown you there. You know the fucking the fucker like bombed the nursing home. You know he a kid died because of him. He poisoned a child. You know and people are still rooting for him. Like I mean perhaps that is down to the complexity of his character, which I do agree is he's a very complex character and very well written. Mm-hmm. But he's it's quite clear that he's meant to be the bad guy. And just people just some can't keep like can't wrap their heads around it in much the same way that I think a lot of white audiences to this day still can't wrap their heads around John Wayne being the bad guy of this, you know. Yeah. The the classic Western cowboy being the villain and the actual uh victims of him were the quote unquote savages the the comanches like i don't think that it still sinks in mm-hmm. uh and and as much as like uh, john wayne tried or john ford tried in this film i think a lot of the early reception of this was just like oh this was a cool classic film um portraying you know like a a man driven to madness because his family was uh, slaughtered, etc., etc. Like not understanding, you know, that he was actually motivated by bigotry, not necessarily by tragedy. Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a very interesting film to have been made in that particular time, uh, yeah. and I think it stands the test of time, and it continues to be called one of the best uh, Western films of all time because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I hope if you do go out and seek the searches, like you do, kind of um, try to understand the subtext. Uh, beyond the o- very obvious text. Uh, um, it's not just a revenge film. It's a film about racism. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, like, it's a film about racism. It's a film about misanagation. Uh, yes, uh, It's yeah, a film yeah. about, you know, uh, women's place in, in society, right? Like, whether or not Debbie, who at that point in time has become an adult woman, her wishes aren't respected. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, none of that like matters at all. Um, the fact that he goes from searching for her to wanting to kill her because she's become the wife of a, of a Komachi war, uh, war chief is you know yep. like it's yeah she it is more about his his sense of honor and his sense of like you know what is right, um, it, through through the lens of his bigotry than than anything else right. Uh, everything else just pales in comparison, um, to that. So mm, absolutely. Yeah. I mean absolutely. there's so many things to kind of unpack. Um yeah, and again, like you said, you know, nineteen fifties, like pretty groundbreaking stuff. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Um let's move on to our final topic of this episode. It is uh the thing, the movie that started my love affair with long titles. Um this is <laughs> the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Uh in 2007. This was an epic western, uh written and directed by Andrew Dominic. Uh, it was actually adapted from Ron Hansen's 1983 novel of the same name. Uh the film dramatizes the relationship between legendary outlaw Jesse James, played by Brad Pitt here alongside, um, shall we say, his fanboy, uh, Robert Ford, uh, played by Cassie Affleck. And it focuses mm-hmm. on the events that lead up to the titular killing. Um, yeah. The assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford is unusual in a sense because, okay, just aesthetically and tonally, mm-hmm. um, yes, there is gunplay, but this is actually a wondrously contemplative, almost poetic saga, you know. That is very bewitching and and deliberate and really like revels in the majestic beauty that is uh that is the American uh landscape uh, or the American West landscape back in the day you know uh and and the, its meditative style I think did it no favors in gaining popularity or gaining box office um uh, dollars 
yeah. because I I think that it's very art house pacing and mm-hmm. it's very uh, meditative style um, made it uh, quote unquote less um, uh, exciting lah you know uh, yeah. to to the casual audience but. I loved it for that reason. I mean, we, we before we even get into the talking about celebrity culture and all of that, you know, what, what do you think about the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford as a film, and and what do you think about its tone and and pacing? Uh, I I loved it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something about, uh, it, it's okay. Uh, assassination is definitely like more my speed in terms of like you know what what I generally enjoy from movies and all that. And then on top of that. Right, you take on this very unique uh, take on what what a Western should be, right? So you have all the myth making and all the mythos like, surrounding these 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 great men, uh, yeah. on either side of the law, and and you meld it into this like very somber, uh, like you said, contemplative, very very deliberate look at the inner lives of these men. Um, yeah, that I find like. It's it's a winning combination for me, you know. Uh, very honestly, out of all the all the movies that we're talking about, this is definitely my favorite and the one that I've watched the most. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but I I do recognize that a lot of that has to do with the fact that it is uh, in line with what my own personal aesthetic preferences are, um, yeah. as as well, and the fact that of course it is one of the mo- the, the most modern film uh, on our list today. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just the fantastic performances by both Brad Pitt and, and Casey Affleck. Uh skin crawling at times, completely unnerving, uh, coupled mm-hmm. with Roger Deakins' amazing camera work, uh, and, and with the all the sorts of like techniques that you know he brings to the table to kind of mm-hmm. like put you off guard, you know, especially like with the the the, the soft edges and, and the transitional shots and things like that, that really kind of like sunk in a fascinating story about a man about two men grappling with um you know one with his own mythos and the other with a mythos that he has subscribed to for the longest time uh in many ways this is western black swan yeah uh, uh, Western Perfect Blue, uh, oh, was, oh, Western you know, Perfect Blue, yeah, which which, which was the basis of Black Swan, yeah, yeah. Which was the basis <laughs> of Black thing. Swan, yeah, um, yeah, and and it is it is incredible to watch and partake of as as an audience member because you know there's just so much that you can milk out of a particular scene, of a particular line, of a particular look, uh, mm-hmm. and and you know, um, Brad Pitt, I think in particular, has this incredible gravitas as Jesse James as a man who is slowly falling apart uh, despite yep. the fact that he can't afford to fall apart mm. um, I love it uh, and, and Casey Affleck like straight on all out creepo douchebag yeah <laughs> uh, like he plays it to a T uh, and mm-hmm. I understand like whatever hate his character gets it is completely warranted because he plays it so well you Absolutely, know, uh, he he is the eighteen hundred celebrity stalker. You know, what I mean, he's yeah. such a he's a cloud chaser. He is an Instagram influencer. Do you know what I mean? It's, he is just that for that period. You know, um, I think like this absolutely mesmerizing, very uh, haunting, uh, retelling of this legendary outlaw's downfall mm-hmm. is rather than a celebration of you know the traditional masculinity of the classical Western yeah. um, is actually a perceptive deconstruction of a flawed masculinity uh, via the dual character studies uh, about mm-hmm. two very complex and very uh, troubled individuals, you know, um, especially in the beginning of, of the outlaw or the Western genre. The, the outlaw was thought of as, you know, the American anti-hero, the classic American anti-hero, yeah. you know, uh, beginning as early as the uh, American frontier back in the 1800s. And it's documented in sensationalized literature uh, and often romanticized, right, in, in, in modern American uh, folklore. Um, mm-hmm. In a sense, the outlaw in the Wild West was one of the first iterations of celebrity in, in America. Um, and Robert Ford's troubling fixation with the outlaw Jesse James was one of the first instances of celebrity obsession uh, in, in the long pattern of American history of celebrity obsession. In fact, it is uh, predominantly in, in pop culture a celebrity-obsessed culture. Yeah. Um, and it, it was great in, in that way, you know. Um, 
it's it's the movie is about so much more than a murder than, than the murder of Jesse James. You know, it's mm-hmm. I think it's the testimony to Andrew Dominic's sharp writing and luminous direction, as well as you know Roger Deakins's uh, cinematography. Uh, mm-hmm. which by the way, as a quick aside, this was the first time I've ever noticed uh, Roger Deakins back in two thousand seven. Like I didn't yeah. know who he was. <laughs> When this movie came out, I made a point to know who he was. You know, very impressive. Oh, yeah. The cast, the cinematography, the directing, and the writing were all uh, amazing. It doesn't ever feel predictable, despite you knowing what's going to happen because it's in the title. Yeah. Uh, you know, like Jesse James in himself, you know, was a thief and a murderer, like many times murderer. He's a mass murderer, you know, but he fascinated people all around the world in much the same way that our that our tabloid culture or internet culture romanticizes like bad boys or bad girls, you know. You yeah. Know? Like, you know, those who, who think about the fascination with serial killers, for example, or O.J. Simpson or, or stuff like that, uh, the that modern phenomenon is not so modern. It's been around no. for a couple hundred years now, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and who better to play someone who fascinates the masses, right, like than a leading man like Brad Pitt, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, who, who possesses the ideal charismatic and enigmatic qualities essential for the part of Jesse James, you know. Um, Cassie Affleck, though, here is kind of the, you know, the younger brother of Ben Affleck is the real revelation here, though. I think this is his first breakout role that first made people notice him. Mm-hmm. Um, and his presence is felt here, you know. He plays someone quirky, but at the same time, there's something, like, really off about him that you're oh, a bit yeah. scared by, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he perfectly inhabits the role of the needy, ambitious, Cloud chasing uh, Robert Ford, you know, um, a manipulator who idolizes Jesse James and yearns to be his sidekick uh, to the point where he eventually manages to kill uh, the outlaw who eluded capture for so long, you know. Um, but what Ford himself didn't bargain for is the aftermath of his act of violence, you know. Yeah. Um, the film <laughs> examines the concept of celebrity from all angles because. Um, you know, because okay, uh, Jesse James kind of targeted wealthy owners of railroads and banks. Um, he and his gang had a sort of Robin Hood uh, reputation with the public, you know. Mm-hmm. And his death only intensified his his uh, his fame, you know. Uh, at the same time, Robert Ford ended up becoming your to give a Hamilton like uh, allegory. He's like <laughs> your your Aaron Burr, right? You yeah. Know? He became he became the villain of the story in in true to public knowledge, you know, and that's the other side of him as well. I think like the psychological underpinnings and the sociological uh, aspects of it uh, is what really carries the assassination of Jesse, the assassination of Jesse James uh, more. Uh, like you know, it elevates it from just a very pretty, very poetic western to a profound western. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um. Any any other thoughts on on the film? Uh, no, I I think I think we've kind of covered that, right? Like I I'm hoping for more. In in this vein, you know, mm-hmm. I I don't think like we've gotten that much, um, of I don't know, uh, what would we call this art house art house westerns? I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, together with uh, what other films could possibly uh, No Country for Old Men, absolutely, um, yeah, There Will Be Blood. Yeah. Um. And to some extent, like Django, Django Unchained, I think as well, you know, mm-hmm. falls into this this kind of like category in which like enough time has passed um w- since the creation of of the uh the genre of the Western genre, uh, mm-hmm. and enough kind of like iterations of that and subversions of that and revisions of that have taken place now where we are in a place in which there is ample space for anyone to take on the genre in their own um, vision uh, of, yeah. of what it should be and what it can be. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so I'm kind of super fascinated by that as well. Um, I, I think Clint Eastwood is returning to Western. Yeah. He's doing Western uh, he'll, this, he'll, this year, right? He'll never go and get away from it. Like. Until the day he dies, he'll be in a Western. Like. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, so I'm super interested to see how that, how he's going to do that because I think he's he's changed significantly as a director, um, mm. you know, uh, over over the years uh, with all the other things that he's done. And I'm super curious as to how he's going to tackle um, one of the first few genres he ever tackled. In, in his mm-hmm. youth um, so you know um, yeah and I, I think like the Coen brothers will always have a a, a deep fondness for the western uh, western genre and 
well, we might be seeing more things out of him as well. Um, yeah, and yeah, any, ab- ab- absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, if you wanna get um an account of uh, the birth of celebrity culture in America, uh, you can't go further than the assassination of Jesse James because it really covers one of the first few celebrity heroes or, or yeah. folk heroes of American culture in Jesse James. And if you want to talk about the birth of toxic fandom, Robert Ford is that guy. He is your toxic fan right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, when you, when you talk about toxic fandom, right, you, you can point to Robert Ford as one, as one of the, the originators like, back in the 1800s of toxic fandom, uh, <laughs> something that has come to the forefront in recent years. Yeah, uh, and, and those were the four Westerns that we talked about. Uh, this week, it's um, firstly, you know, Tombstone, your classical machismo Western. And yep. then you talk about the, the cruel harshness or, or, you know, the dirt and the grime and the re- realism of Unforgiven by Clean Eastwood. Uh, then we talked about the racism and bigotry prevalent among white settlers against Native Americans in John Ford's researches. And finally, we talk about a more recent Western, which is The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Uh, all of them available on Blu-rays and DVDs and various streaming services out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we highly recommend uh, that you check them out. You know. um, the, we, we picked out like very obvious Westerns here. There are no like, new Westerns. If, if you're wondering what a new Western is, <laughs> it's more like um, a modernized Western. Like um, uh, the Hell of High Water, for example, is yeah. a new Western. Yeah. 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 Sure. So the, yeah, so we we didn't talk about new westerns. Uh, although they are like a subgenre within this genre, I wanted to talk about westerns in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the for a compare and contrast purposes, I think these four films really uh showcased uh how subversive the the latter three were as opposed to the tropey stereotypical the first one was. And there's nothing wrong with the with the tropiness of the first one, by the way. It's just yeah. fucking cool. Uh, you you don't you don't get subversion if you don't get the tropes ahead of time, you know? Like it, it doesn't like work that way. You have to establish that before you can subvert it. So it's important in its own right. Mm. It's it's uh Tombstone was like your Avengers film, you know. Of uh, the, you know like those superhero shots, the slow walks, yeah. the fire in the background, you know. Yeah. Like that's 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 what Westerns uh, originated, uh, to be honest, uh, and if you're not a fan of uh, the genre, we urge you to check to check out these four films alongside the many other films that we name dropped in the beginning. Yeah. Uh, we will be back uh in a couple of weeks' time mm-hmm. for genre equality. Uh, we got lots to talk about, particularly. Our main topic will be the Suicide Squad. Um, not the David Ayers one. This one has the in front of it. It's yeah. Verse Suicide Squad. Yeah, James uh, Gunn. It's mm-hmm. James Gunn's Suicide Squad. It's, it's essentially um, a reboot slash sequel. Uh, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll, 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 we'll talk about that. <laughs> la. Yeah. It's a complicated. I don't really know what to call it, but we'll talk about uh, the Suicide Squad, which, you know, regardless of its canon implications, is very fun. Uh, we'll talk about the latest season of Rick and Morty, Legends mm. of Tomorrow, Tuka and Bertie. Uh, I'll be talking about a couple of films that just came out. Uh, Free Guy, for example, Jungle Cruise just came out. Old uh, M. Night Shyamalan's uh, latest film. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll be previewing The Green Knight, which I've already gotten to see. Uh, it'll be released in Singapore on September the 23rd, but I'll be reviewing that ahead of time. And Isa will be dropping... His latest anime corner. Yeah. Uh, lots to talk about there. Um, th- including the latest Witcher property, which is The Witcher Nightmare of the Wolf, yep. uh, which will be dropping on uh, Netflix a week from this recording time. Yeah, so excited. We'll talk about that when, when we see that. Like, what were you most excited to, to check out? Uh, definitely Witcher, uh, for sure. I mean, like, there are a couple of other things that just came out as well that we won't be talking about on this month's thing, like uh, the new Star Wars anime. It looks really, really good. Uh, yeah, it comes out next month, yeah. You know, and like in, in the midst of all of that, like um the what if series on, on Disney Plus right now, the Marvel What If series also looks extremely yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of stuff. Um yeah, happy to share some some choice anime picks, not as bountiful as last time around as I've complained about before. Um uh, but mm. that that's okay. You can't have it good all the time. Uh but yeah, yeah. I'm pretty excited to to see what the month has to offer for us. Definitely, you know. Um we will be back uh, next month for genre equality and, and of course, like a bunch of other topics as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you haven't checked it out, I recently wrote, uh, uh, and we'll, we'll be talking about Dune in depth in a couple of months, but yep. I recently wrote an essay about oh, yeah. uh, Frank Herbert's Dune and how, uh, I mean, to, to give you a bit of background, I spent <laughs> the last couple of weeks uh, reading um, Isaac Asimov's foundation novels. Oh, very uh, nice. 
which which made me realize that Dune was kind of foundation fanfic in a way because yeah, he yeah. he made he created his own world for sure, but yeah. the situations were exactly the same uh-huh. thematically. Uh, except that Frank Herbert drew opposite conclusions from Isaac Asimov. Yes. Uh, and then I found an essay that Frank Herbert wrote back in the 70s where he outright admits that uh, he was a big fan of the Foundation novels but disagrees yeah. with Isaac Asimov's conclusions. Uh-huh. So he wanted to make his own mythology to like refute Isaac Asimov's Foundation novels. Uh, so they were both like... It's both an insp- inspired by and a counterpoint to Isaac Asimov's yeah. foundation. Yeah. Uh, the reason I wrote about both and how Frank Herbert was uh, inspired by Isaac Asimov is because, you know, Foundation, of course, will be an Apple TV Plus series mm-hmm. uh, next month coming out on Apple TV Plus, of course, and Dune will be coming out in October. Uh, so it's just a nice coincidence that these two franchise, these two book series that were so intertwined uh, thematically uh, happen to be coming out within one month for each other. Lah. And I would highly recommend you read the books as well. Because, oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure like the, the series and the movie will be good, lah, but there's just you know, nothing like for original books. Yeah. I can't wait to dive into our Dune episode. Especially absolutely. Um, the news that the second movie is going to be helmed by Zendaya instead. Mm, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Super yeah. interesting. So, so very interesting, yeah. So if you want to read my essay, it's available on potwire.com.sg. I recently posted it on the Journal Equality Facebook page as yeah. well. Uh, so yeah, uh, go check that out. Anything you want to plug before we, we get out of here? Yeah, speaking of things that uh, we've done recently that uh, you might have missed, uh, we would like to remind you, if you haven't checked it out already, that Asian Nightmares Episode 1 is up and about, uh, titled The Water Corridor, written by our great friend Christopher Falk, and um, mm. featuring... Uh, Leanne Sutton, also a good friend of ours. Um, you yeah. can check that out on Spotify. Just search for Asian Nightmares. Um, you can find it on the Bandcamp and all of that. We'll be uh, we'll be pasting the links and all of that for you guys to go check out. Please go support if you're a big fan of horror and horror stories, in particular, uh, Asian horror stories or, or things based in uh, Southeast Asian folklore. Uh, please mm-hmm. do check that out. Um, there will be more episodes coming soon, and we hope to uh, we will let you guys know as and when they come out. Uh, but yeah, please do check that out and show some support. Awesome, yeah. I mean, Asian horror stories as well as um, uh, genre quality and behold, all available on Spotify, uh, YouTube, Mixcloud, wherever you find your podcasts, you can mm. find us. Yeah. Uh, so go check us out and give us a like, follow, and subscribe. Till then, this has been Hit Zero. I'm Isa. Goodbye, guys.